Hello and welcome to another episode of the Citizens of Lorcana podcast, a podcast where we invite you to be a part of their world. We're your host, Jared and James. Today, we are talking with a deck building and all around amazing person, Lindsay. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome to another week. Last week, we visited with the Live, Laugh, Lorcana team, Katie and Becky. I wasn't able to be on that call, so... Um, I had the chance to go back and listen to it and it was excellent. So if you haven't, make sure to go back and listen. Today we are joined by someone who has helped me tremendously in my Lurkana journey. You might recognize her from her Discord username, Lumiqueer Lindsay, but we know her as Lindsay. Hey, welcome, welcome. Hi, thanks. So glad to be on. Really flattered that you asked me. Yeah, I, I bet it came as a as a little surprise out of the blue because it's not like we'd been talking or anything. I just kind of reached out to you and I'd be like, you know, we really want to get better at our game and you are so good at deck building. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I know I'm not a content creator, at least not yet, but uh, I, I like contributing in the discords and everything. Well, well, you threw that little teaser out there. Not yet. You got something in the works? <laughs> um, Actually, was going get, to get into that in, uh, in okay. a little bit, some of my okay. ideas. No, no worries. <laughs> well, we'll save it. So here at the beginning, we have a new segment that we're calling Deck Tech and Specs. So we're going to start there. If you were to go to Locals this week, what are you taking? All right. So actually, I have been, since since the meta has just kind of evolved so much with Set 2 from where it started, I'm back on my original idea when the set first uh, launched. It's my Amber Sapphire Alice Songs deck have tweaked it a little bit um, with, with where things are at, but at least at my local, Steel Sapphire has become quite the deck. And I'll, people are either running that or Ruby Amethyst. And my Alice Songs is actually doing really well against the uh, the the Steel Sapphire decks. So running things like Cogsworth, it's just so good against Steel, and they just have basically no answers unless they get their uh, big blue Hades out. Um so yeah, I've I've kind of teched that deck back up and I'm getting some good use out of Alice. I am going to have to see this deck because as everybody knows, I'm Team Sapphire and I'm about to give up. But I really want Alice. I really want Bell to work. So if you have a deck with Alice that works, I need to see that. Um, but that's why we're talking to you, deck building. So you already kind of talked about good matchups. You said it matches up good against uh, Steel. But what about uh, Ruby Amethyst? How does it match up against that? Yeah, so that's uh, definitely one of the tougher matchups and one of the reasons I dropped it uh, a bit and started playing some other stuff like the Mufasa decks. But with the rise of kind of flute, like the the, the flutes taking over in the, in the Steel Song decks, I decided to tech those into my own Alice decks. And that's been pretty good uh it's it's still definitely its hardest matchup but the flutes can sometimes you know just put you there because rumi amethyst's big weakness is they have zero item removal you play that flute down they cannot do anything about it so are you running a lot of songs in this deck then like i know yellow has a lot of songs but yes strength of that deck usually comes from the steel songs yeah exactly so i'm actually running 16 songs i think my steel song list though had 20 so it's a little bit less than that but the the big differences are Let It Go, obviously, um, which Ariel can sing. Really love uh, being able to get that off early. And with running Alice in the deck and the Queen Shift, 
it makes criminal uh, world's greatest criminal mind so much better of a song and so much easier to get off to just kill anything so i actually run four world's greatest criminal minds because you can use support on your enemies uh characters don't don't yes. forget that <laughs> I love doing so that in the in the Princess Steel song deck. I love doing that with Mulan and the Queen to my opponents. I mean, like, oh yeah, by the way, here's World's Greatest Criminal Mind. And they're like, what? Yep. <laughs> so that that helps give you the extra songs that you don't have because you're not running steel. So yeah. How satisfying is it when you get Alice to go off? Oh, it's the best feeling. <laughs> She's such a fun, a fun uh win condition. And if you have the queen shift out, it's it's so easy to just start getting so much lore there at the end. She's a really nice win con. Okay, do you shift the queen right away on turn two if you can? Because when I've done this before, it's like you shift on turn two, but then you just have the queen and she just feels really vulnerable. Or do you save it until you have a better board presence? Yeah, it de depends on the matchup. Um, like versus an aggro deck, a lot of times I will just because it gives you that better body for trading. Um, and if I have a world's criminal mind in hand, then I might shift it earlier just to try to get an easy kill. You can also use her to sing Let It Go early if you need to. Um, I usually prefer saving that till later. Um, but against other mid-range and control, I probably don't shift her right away. I focus on building a little bit more of a board um, and especially getting the aerial down turn three to start digging for songs. Wow. That's great. I love it. So now, what does your deck have to look out for? Like, what are its weak spots? Yeah, definitely control and that that darn goat. <laughs> I know a lot of us are really sick of the goat. Uh, but I'm, I, I'm kind of at a point where, I mean, unless you're running steel and trying to, you know, whole new world to discard the goat, which, you know, they could just draw another one. There's just no interaction, so I've stopped focusing on trying to beat that specifically and just kind of streamlining, building a solid deck and using the flutes as i can to get get over control but it's it's still a tough matchup there's just no good answer to goat right now i love it i mean i want to try this deck out now after chatting about it <laughs> thanks well so as as mentioned uh you are a prolific deck builder um i think both jared and i have used at least one of your decks that you've uh posted um and they're very good so how did you develop into being able to build decks like that? Yeah, thank you. That I'm honestly flattered you've used my decks. Uh, that's great. So I've been playing card like TCG since middle school, and I'm 33 now. So it's it's been a while. Um, uh, I I got a lot more into the deck building aspect of it though with online card games. Actually, um, there was a a game that popped up. Uh, during the Hearthstone craze that was Elder Scrolls Legends. A lot of people didn't know this happened, but Bethesda had their own card game. And that's where I was a content creator for a while. I was a streamer um, for that game and got into deck building. I got to be on one of Bethesda's big tournaments um, that they streamed. So that was really fun. Uh, um, sadly, the game was short-lived and Bethesda decided they did not want to get into the the, the online card space. So I've been looking for something to to take that space in my heart. And Lorcana has done that. So now I'm like, oh, cool. I can bring my deck building back and and try and work on things over here and, and get a good start right at the beginning. But like, did it come natural to you or did you re kind of like clunky at the start? And then you've slowly like through your years of experience, you 
just kind of know like the nuances because James and I, for all intents and purposes, started playing TCGs with Lorcana. Yeah. So we're still pretty new. We don't have that like database of knowledge that you have. Yeah. So, I mean, I think just my years of, you know, I've started with Yu-Gi-Oh! I played some magic. It was very casual back then though, but I at least had some understanding of how to build a deck. Um, with the Elder Scrolls Legends though, was when I got into competitive mainly because uh, I was trying to get into tournaments and doing streaming and, and getting followers. But that, that kind of got me to really like look into different videos, even just on magic about learning what curve is and um, different synergies and combos and, learning about card advantage. I remember first starting in games like Yu-Gi-Oh! I used to think at the beginning, like, oh, Pot of Greed, what a terrible card. Like, draw two, I have to spend a card to draw two, but now, you know, I know that's actually really, really good. Like, we have friends on the other side, and we all know that card is really strong. So it just took time, but I kind of had to buckle down and, like, be like, okay, this is something I want to do. I'm going to learn and looked up videos and tested decks constantly on stream trying to figure out what worked and what didn't that's great so let's say i stink at deck building which i do (laughs) take us through the process like how do you start do you like go online find a deck that you kind of like and then you tweak it or do you just like look at your cards and you're like i want to make this alice card work and i need i'm going to build around it yeah so there's definitely a lot of different directions i take i guess um i do like to start with in my mind there's absolutely nothing wrong with net decking and i know i say this a lot in the discord because sometimes there's people that don't exactly agree with that but i'm always flattered when someone does use my deck there's nothing wrong with that and you know not being good at deck building isn't a bad thing there there is a skill to running a deck just as much as there is to the deck building But basically when I'm building a deck, uh, sometimes like with Alice, it was definitely a, I love this card. How can I make this work? Um, And in set one, I ran Amber Sapphire mostly throughout that. Um, I topped a couple tournaments here in Denver with that. And (laughs) I took that idea and was like, what if I put Alice in here? Um, I get lots of other support stuff like the Queen. We can try and synergize with that. So it's really looking at what synergizes with that card that you want. And that's not to say that it will always work out, though. There's definitely some cards that I love that just don't have a place, <laughs> don't don't have a good deck. So it's really a lot of trial and error. Um, that said, I definitely have looked at other people's decks and taken my own spin on it. Um, I think one of the best examples of that is the Princess Steel Song. Um, me and someone in the HQ Discord named Top 8 got together and kind of put together this princess idea. I think our main goal was to try to make Namari really useful um, in that. And it was a little more interactive of a steel song and it worked pretty well. Um, but, you know, at first we were like, okay, let's look at what steel song is doing right now. And then how can we, we tweak it from there? So it's, it's a little of both. Sometimes I do go from the ground up and sometimes I look at other decks. That's the uh, deck that I wanted to build. I remember you talking about that. And so I placed my order with TCG player. Oh my gosh. This is the one order from TCG player that did not come through. Oh, you know, they give you like the three week window. Yeah. I waited that whole time. It didn't come. And then they issued me a refund. And by that time, like, you know, still song fell way, way, way down. 
was gonna no. say, yeah, sadly, Steel Song is kind of dead right now. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it definitely fell off. I was actually playing it, and then for, uh, I think it was for a lot of December. Um, I think I actually played your Princess deck version. Okay. I transferred. I was running one that I kind of had like put together myself with Maximus to get that support to be able to use World Criminus Greatest Criminal Mind and some other stuff. And then I switched to yours and I was actually getting, a, it was actually a little bit more successful than my version. Um, but yeah, I, I played a game, a Steel Song mirror match. Uh, and I think we made like managed to get one battle in and then like part way through the next one. And I'm like, this is too grueling. And especially, and also against uh, uh, Sapphire Steel, it's like you can't do anything against it yep. as soon as they get that Cogsworth out. And I'm like, this is horrible. And I'm like, I need something else. Yeah, uh, that's what moved me off of it. Steel Sapphire. Uh, yeah. Like I said, our locals, for some reason, love Steel Sapphire. And I just could not get over them with the Steel Song. So I had to pivot. Yeah, it's it, but it, I love the deck and, and it's fun, so much fun to play. And if Inklands brings in some some stuff that makes it viable again mm -hmm. against some of those, I'm I'm switching back for sure. Um, yeah. But we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Uh, yeah. So I just wanted to ask one more question about deck building. How do you know when you have a winner? Like you're putting together your deck and you're like, I think this is it. Obviously, there's play testing, but at yeah. what point? Because you know, you're running your deck now. How do you get to the point where like, this is it, this is the one I want to run? Um, that's a great question. Definitely. I mean, repetitions definitely helps. Um, and I know a lot of people use, you know, some online means to test theirs. Um, I do that a little bit, but not honestly too much. I like playing in paper a lot more, but I'm um, going to locals. Uh, cause we here in Denver, we have a spot where we have league on Mondays and then Saturdays we have constructed tournaments every Saturday. So I go to, to league to really test out, um, my decks and if it seems to do well i take it to constructed but i know i have a winner when i get you know at least top three or four in our our constructed um i know i know i'm i'm placing pretty well and and getting those wins i need so one of the things that again impresses me about you is not only are you good <laughs> at building decks but as I mentioned, I got your deck off of the, I saw it on the Lorcana HQ Discord, and you are always there talking with people about deck building and sharing decks and offering suggestions and help mm -hmm. and gameplay. What is, what, what drives you to be that, you know, do that, be that kind of person who's in there helping all the time instead of just building your decks and playing? Yeah. So I've, for the longest time, been a community builder. Um, like when I mentioned I was part of the Elder Scrolls Legends, I wasn't just a, a streamer for that. They had an official Discord and they did ask me to be a moderator. So I got to be a mod uh, in that Discord. And uh, funny enough, there even like Pete Hines was in that Discord, got to have some conversations with that. But then sadly, I also got to see the downfall of the game and the, the deletion of everything. So... Um, and I also used to run Pokemon draft leagues. Um, that's not actually the TCG. It was competitive battling with the, the video game, <laughs> but built communities out of that to play that. And so now I've come to Lorcana and just kind of bringing that, not necessarily needing to moderate anything right now because I have so much going on, but um, bringing that, that deck building, being able to share my, my ideas and my decks that are doing well and hopefully help 
uh, people that like those decks and we can, you know, tweak things together. I think that's great. And uh, I, I guess just overall, I want Larkana to be a healthy, growing community where we can all, like, you know, work together and build really strong decks together and strong ideas. And all, eventually all of us can can beat the Ruby Amethyst control. <laughs> that's the dream. Set that's 25. Here we come. Put the goat in its place, please. <laughs> um, no, I agree. That's one of the things that I love about this community, and I have not been a part of other TCG communities, so I can't speak to that. But it really feels like, for the most part, most of the people in this community are all about helping build other people, except for Lorcana Facebook. Mm -hmm. That that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I avoid the Facebook and and Reddit. <laughs> what are your thoughts? on the state of the current meta we kind of already have an idea with how you feel yeah, about ruby amethyst yeah. but and i know this is a hot take and i give it all the time in the discord i honestly think even though ruby amethyst is a little oppressive i think set two has given us a lot more diversity in what i would probably call like the tier one tier two decks than we had in in set one and i like that i think it shows that the game really is growing like obviously ruby amethyst is top dog i'm not going to argue that um but there are decks out there that are evolving to have good matchups mainly like mufasa and discard kind of popped up and have been doing pretty decent against against them i think um seeing the fall of steel song i think was very interesting and then steel sapphire you know kind of taking its place um just just we we have so many so much more than just three decks that I think set one had, which, you know, the Ruby Amethyst control, the steel song. And then right at the end, Amber Sapphire was kind yep. of coming right up in there at the end. That's what I was playing and pushing. And, and we kind of got there with that, but, but this set, I think there's a lot more and we've got the hyper aggro to this set, which is very, that that's what beat me at our one K. Um, I almost made top eight. So close. Uh, this, set, I played Mufasa, but uh, hyper aggro got me actually. No, you're absolutely right. When uh, you sit there and put it that way, I mean, Ruby Amethyst is very oppressive at how many top eights it's in. Like, I see the meta reports. Yep. Um, yeah. But but I mean, you're right. Once you look down at the second, third, fourth, fifth, there's a whole cluster of different decks that are there instead of just the three. Like, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I mean, we're going to talk about this later, but I fully hope that set three is going to help continue that trend. Yes, a hundred percent. I hope we get something that that helps us out with the goat mainly, but I I think we're out, we're on a good trajectory. You don't you really don't like this goat, do you? <laughs> I don't like the goat. I'm sorry. I it's... I'm I'm a mid range. Obviously, with the decks I built, I'm very much a mid range player. I like interaction. I like being able to you know early game control, stop things, and then kind of blow up uh, quickly at the end. With the goat, there is just there's no interaction, and I I want an answer to that. <laughs> I want something yeah. that I can do. And and to your point about there being diversity, I I just listened to uh, Forbidden Mountains meta report for this week, mm -hmm. and uh, they went over like the entire season of Rise of the Floodborne and how there are multiple decks that showed up at least like twenty ish times mm -hmm. in top eights over the course of like the last 10 or 12 weeks, whatever it was. And yeah, Ruby Amethyst was half of everything. 
but it's just nice to see that there were so many different decks that that were able to make it in and actually have a showing multiple times not just like not like uh what was it a popsicle deck which like had a spike for a week or two and then just like disappeared oh uh, yeah so, no it's just really nice that it is expanding and i think that's because of you know the next set you know the rise of the floodborne coming in and adding stuff to it and i and like i said hopefully inklands just continues that trend and we just see more and more decks I, I still have a feeling that ruby amethyst just because of what's already there is still going to be a quality deck it's just hopefully there are other decks rise to its level yeah kind of agree i think there's a different card that might be a little oppressive in the ruby amethyst package but i'll i'll talk about that in a sec <laughs> <laughs> so uh, three on a on a on a different track here this is something that we could probably spend many hours talking about and i know that both the illumiteers and uh uh this week in ink the inkwell and uh b squared both talked about it on theirs this week and that's casual versus competitive and it's been a, a hot topic and so just like what are your what's your feelings on it right now about the whole casual versus competitive thing yeah so i come from both sides um and i love both and i think both are valid so with, you know, with obviously my background in like Elder Scrolls Legends, I was much more of a competitive player. And with Lorcana, I have definitely pivoted more towards the competitive side and really trying to make winning decks. But my background in like Magic, I played Commander very casually with friends, still do sometimes. And I love that just zany four-player match. You know, we're all playing weird, uh, janky cards. It's a lot of fun. And with Lorcana at our leagues, we still do that. We'll do the four-player games. I'll bring, like, a discard deck so it makes everybody, you know, all three other players have to discard. But it's it's definitely not a great discard deck. But it's fun. And I think there's room for both. I And I, and I think the game should focus on both. We don't just need the competitive. Casual helps bring new players in, too, as they're learning. And I honestly think we'll get formats like commander i've already talked with some people about some ideas around it i think there's a lot of potential for that once we get more cards in so i i like both i, I don't want to pick a side <laughs> well i think one of the things that you said earlier was that your uh store there in denver has a league play that's casual and then there's a constructed day yep and this was a point that i saw a lot of people making on twitter is that Right now, there's not a good outlet for the competitive players to to play at. So yeah. they want to get their play time in. So their only option is to go to this league play. And if the stores aren't providing opportunity for the constructed and the casual, then they're all going to go to the one spot. Yeah, that's definitely how it is here in Denver. Um, I wish there was more competitive. But the, the spot we go to is called Advantage Games. And yeah, they do league and competitive and they're the only one running regular uh constructed tournaments uh, a couple other stores have done like one or two a set maybe um for a box or something but otherwise yeah and that has caused that spot to become like the main one for the competitive players they'll drive you know a couple hours even to go to that just because there's no other options yeah i think i think it's really nice when stores do that there's only I think one store that I've been to where they actually have multiple nights and they do the same thing where they run two nights of casual and one competitive afternoon mm -hmm. on Sundays. 
and it's it's a really nice place, but it's also, you know, the one I go to the most, they always run competitive. They don't even do casual really. So if you want to test out your decks, uh, or if you're just a casual player, you basically are stuck playing against, you know, at least half the group there running meta decks, testing out things because they're trying to, you know, they're practicing for a 1K or they're trying to get the pins so that they can make sure they get all the pins this season or whatever it may be. Or they're just naturally competitive players who want to want to be the best. And, you know, having casual people show up for that is fairly difficult, which is why, like, this week they did something different and they ran a sealed with some, you know, half and half first chapter and rise. And they had multiple people show up who had never done sealed before and also had never even come into the store before. And I think it's something that they, that store, a lot of stores really need to look at if they're trying to get people coming in, they need to have those options, not just run the same thing week in and week out and like, well, we got, you know, 20 people. So I guess we're okay. Um, I mean, maybe you could be getting 40 people if you do it a little differently and give those options, you know? Mm -hmm. I will say this too. This last weekend, I went up to Idaho and my son and I went to two different uh, Lorcana events. The first one was at Phoenix Fire Game, which James, our friend Devin that we met at Gamma, he's the the one that runs that. Nice. And they, because product was so scarce in chapter one, they just made their Lorcana nights for free. Like you could just show up with the deck and you play. Like there's no price support. I mean, they have they have the promos and the pins, but as far as like you get a pack for playing, they don't do that. So, but it's interesting though, because it was free, there are a lot of families that go. Like there's three or four kids, there's some parents there, but there's also some competitive people. But it was a fun mixture. And then the next night we went to another store that was paid it was like you know ten dollars so it wasn't crazy you get a pack which is nice but definitely the people there there's only like 16 there but it was metadex like everybody is bringing their metadex because for every win that you got you also got another pack as price support and it was i mean i'm not saying that every store needs to run like free events like the Phoenix Fire Games did because next set they're moving to to paid. But it was just interesting to see the difference in the people that came out for the free event because it was a lot more accessible than the people that came out for the paid event. Yeah, that's how our league is here. It's a, it's a free league, but then the constructed is a $10 buy-in every week unless it's, you know, they they also host our 1K when it's the 1K, it's a little bit more, but uh yeah, same same and we get a lot more casual people out at league for sure so looking forward to set three which cards are you looking at already that you want to build decks around i know we only have a quarter of set three revealed but there's Mm -hmm. been some good ones absolutely um the two biggest ones that come to my mind and they're both emerald which i think we've seen more emerald than anything though the first is ursula even though it's an uncommon oh my goodness that that card has me so excited it's a 1-3 that only costs two, so it's, you know, it's got a good body against Steel early, and just getting rid of a, a song, you know, that hits Be Prepared, that hits Grab Your Swords, like, you're getting so much value out of it, and even if it just comes in as a two-mana uh, 1-3, and you get to look at your opponent's hand, even if they don't have a song, you get to look at that, that's already so much better than that uh, that blue cantrip. Now I can't remember what it's called, where you get to see your opponent's hand. Nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. Thank you. So much. It just feels so much stronger than that. 
And then the other green card we saw only a couple days ago was that uh, Milo legendary yes. from Atlantis. Oh my goodness. Um, one of the decks I've been running recently is the green Mufasa. And instantly I'm just like, Milo just makes that deck so much better. <laughs> um, just getting him off the top onto the board and basically having a threat of my own board wipe. Um against someone that just feels so good i think he's gonna be really good okay okay i've um, heard mixed things about milo like i've heard mixed reactions what is it about milo that really makes you think he's gonna pop off he's one-sided i think that's the biggest biggest uh, you know we we all know how big be prepared is um and how strong that is but the fact that milo only bounces all of your opponent's um characters just feels so good and it's I, I like that it's when he's banished. It's not just when he's banished in a challenge. Um, when I first saw him, I thought that's what he said. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe. But if he's banished for any reason. Um, so you you could play around with that a lot. I think he has a lot of potential. Are you foreseeing maybe this is the kind of thing where you banish him yourself? I think there's definitely possibility. <laughs> Similar to Mufasa, in a way, if you want to run him into something just so you can get all your opponent's characters gone, um, I think can be really strong. But just like what happened to my Mufasa, someone playing Sapphire can just make your Milo ink. <laughs> yes, that will definitely still be the week. Sa Sapphire beats Mufasa, and <laughs> it will also beat Milo. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then I think the other card is another green one that I'm excited for is Morph. Yeah, um, I do think Morph initially was a little overhyped. I do think he's strong. He gives a lot of really good shifts. Like people were talking about um, Sad Steel Beast now being able to shift on turn three. Um, the the two one stats though, it still makes green very susceptible to steel. Um, so I don't think it's quite as good as people think, but I do think it will change things up. I can say what about the uh, Jim Hawkins? I, I really thought for sure you'd say something about Jim. I was actually, yeah. I, uh, locations are just so hard for me to rate right now, and I yeah. keep trying. Um, I really need to see them in action. Um, so I, I'm reserving my thoughts for Jim until I can see that locations are actually good enough to run over characters. That's fair. I did have another one other one I just remembered now of uh, since I've been running Mufasa decks and I'm so excited for this because Amber hasn't had as good a draw this set now that we're not using Rapunzel as much because she's just not quite getting us there because there's less challenges. The new Pongo uh, where you look at the top card and if it's a character you get to you get to draw. Um, it's it's so much more reliable card draw for a Mufasa deck specifically. Um, that I really like it in that deck. I don't think it's going to be a card you put in any Amber deck, but the Mufasa deck, which I know is going to continue and just get stronger each set, Pongo, instant include, four of, you're going to have your card draw right there. Uh, I like it a lot. You mentioned that you just can't get a handle yet on locations because we just haven't played with them yet. Is there anything you're thinking about, like how it's going to affect deck building 
is there anything you like you can see right now or is it just like without having all the locations and all i actually like you said you like playing on play playing on paper so without getting that interaction and that feel for it can, do you really have a feel for locations or at least how you're planning to go to tackle it um, yeah i mean i i keep trying to think through it and i'm trying to i kind of envision locations as okay it's it's basically a character that comes in it has lore every turn so it's a character that quests every turn is basically always exerted and at risk of being attacked but has zero attack back so it's not going to kill things back for me it really comes down to what their abilities are and the passive lore you're gaining for what the cost is um and i i, I mentioned earlier that i think there's going to be a different card that kind of defines the meta for set three as far as ruby amethyst and it's not going to be goat if locations are a big thing it is 100 percent maui <laughs> every location we've seen gets instantly obliterated by maui there's no protection for it that we've seen yet i hope we get something that helps protect locations that'll make them better but i think if if locations become a thing maui's just run in every red deck and just kills every location which makes me like them a little less um so I've mostly been looking at their abilities, and I like a couple of them. I think the Broom Amethyst one is the big one. I, nice. I think that one has a lot of potential. Plus, it's the only one that does live Maui, because <laughs> it has seven willpower. So I like that. The blue one, where if your characters are there, they get inked, kind of like. And then Fang, the one that gives Ward an evasive, I think is gonna be good but again if maui is prevalent it, it won't matter as much you just kill it and then all your characters are now vulnerable again so i don't know it, I, we're, we're just in such a weird spot with locations that i i feel like i have to see them in action because initially i'm kind of thinking they're maybe not quite enough to change things but we'll have to see didn't forbid mountain just have a couple of card reveals tonight that may yep. be helpful the vault yeah, yes, vault. I did see the vault. The vault door um, I wasn't whatever. sure if we were going to cover cover the new cards yet. But yeah, the vault, I did see. And that gives me a little hope. Um, if it's worth running that just to protect locations, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm not sold on it yet. But I do yeah, because, think it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, because still it comes back to this idea. You have to, play, you have to pay the ink to play the location. You have to play the ink to move your characters to that location, and they have to pay oh. the ink to play this vault door for four to give it protection. And just feels like that's a lot of ink for what? Like, yeah. what's the return on investment here? I'm I'm in the same boat as you. Like, I'm really conflicted on how locations, how effective they're going to be. I think this voyage card that again we'll talk about later that lets you move two of your characters to location for free. I think that that makes locations more viable. Um, yes. but, but I mean, I don't know. We're 25% of the way through the reveals. So hopefully we, uh, hopefully we see more that makes it make sense. Yeah. I, th I think we have some surprises coming. Um, so excited for that. Yes. <laughs> so sure. that segues perfectly. What do you think will have to happen in set three to bring the meta into more of a balance? So there isn't just one dominant deck. I mean, it's not uncommon for there to be a dominant deck, but to be as dominant as Ruby Amethyst has been, what needs to well, happen so that that doesn't happen again? So I've been thinking about this, and 
obviously right now the current meta it's the goat um next meta i think maui might be a little more of a focus because i still think maui is just too strong a card for its cost um but i think if we get a little bit more discard in some other colors besides just emerald that might help with goat but i think the biggest thing is going to be getting better lore drainers right now we just they're not strong enough quite the aladdin on three is a two two um he's just okay he's not that strong the the lady tremaine um is uninkable two costs that takes a lore and then there's the the one that does with the floodborns he's also uninkable just it's just not enough i think the best way to check the goat is to just keep people's lore down if we're going to have these instant lore gainers especially with locations coming in now we're going to have a lot more just passive lore happening we need more lore drain effects to help balance it um that would also give control more tools <laughs> so it's kind of a double-edged sword but i think that's kind of my first idea more more things like aladdin and tremaine but at a little bit higher power level to help balance and things. not in ruby or amethyst yeah i would i would agree <laughs> <laughs> give me some more give me some good amber stuff amber's oh, yeah. my favorite Give, give me amber lore drain or like lore swap or something could be fun something give us something yeah and i just um, go back to our conversation with the forbidden mountain when dan was like the thing that we need to see is that ruby and amethyst don't need good locations and then we've seen nothing like they need to not be good with the locations their mechanics and then we've seen nothing but ruby just be awesome at locations so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say another one, the, and this goes back to some of the new cards we've seen in Emerald, that Lyle Tiberius Rourke from Atlantis. I think he's kind of showing us that we're going in the right direction with that, uh, the lore pressure a little bit. Um, but he's another Emerald uninkable, and I'm so sick of I, I don't run a lot of Emerald these days just because every time I try to build a deck, it has like 25 uninkables, and I'm just like, I can't run this. <laughs> uh, it, it's so hard to cut them down in that deck. Yes. But I do like him, but he is another uninkable that we have to consider. Yeah, poor Emerald. It was one we were going to talk about, but let's just mention it now. The ability is that whenever one of your other characters is banished, each opponent loses one lore. Yeah. And, uh, when he's played... Uh, you can give a character reckless. Uh, you're one of your oppo opponent's characters reckless to make them go into a character, hopefully. But yeah, unequable, three cost. I think he has potential, though. Um, yeah. well, we'll have, just have to see what he replaces in green decks because you'll have to swap out an uninkable for, for his uninkable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's just too many already. So before we move on, I guess, James, you and I have an announcement to make which is yes. leading into the next thing. We, as the time when this podcast comes out, we have a Discord that's going to be open to the public. And right now we've invited a few early testers in to make sure that uh, it doesn't completely fall apart. But one of the things that we have in here is a place where people can ask questions of the podcast. So, Lindsay, we have a few questions for you, and you can answer these rapid fire or... Um, take as much time as you want. There's three questions, okay? Sure. So if you want a chance to ask us some questions, check on the Discord. There'll be a link, and uh, we'll see you in there. So 
The first question comes from Matanui Moore. Their question is, when is it worth it? When is it worth having a single card in your deck? It's like, when are you going to run a one of card in your deck? I know a lot of people do with the control decks, and I think that mostly has to do with mirror matches. They're so long that your odds of getting to see that one card that you might need does increase. I'm such a mid-range player that the lowest... I, I have some two-ofs in in some decks. Ah, I it, it really has to be specific tech for games that go long. Because what you have to think about with the amount you're running cards in a deck is that's the odds you're going to see that card. If you're running one of something, any game that's only, you know, 10 turns long, uh, you're not, you're never going to see it. You have to just you, assume you're never going to see that card, not once. Um, so it has to be for longer games. So I think in more control mirror matches, that's when you want to tech something in. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, my son has been getting into the Pokemon TCG, so... I've been trying to learn that to play with him too. And that's one thing about Pokemon is they have so many cards that search your deck. And in that case, like it makes sense to run a one of, but Lorcana, that is not in the game. I was going to say, yeah, once we get tutor effects, which uh, I'm sure we will, um, that makes it a little, a little different. Then you run those tutors to search for specific answers. You can run less of some things and more tutors essentially. Um, that will change things. And then obviously if you only have, you know, you you want to run four Rapunzel's, but you only own one, then run the one that you've got, put something else in until you get more. That's another yep. good yep. scenario. But in a constructed tournament, you there, there's not much reason to ever run one of something. This next question you kind of answered already. It's from a Mike Berkey. What's your limit on uninkable cards in an average deck? I know it probably varies depending on draw potentials and such. Hundred percent. Um, my highest is my hyper aggro that I built. I called it Blurple Eggs and Ham. <laughs> uh, it it used the the amethyst hyper aggro bound stuff, but I splashed in blue with the the eggs song to give everything resist to help against the steel matchup because that's clearly the deck's worst matchup, and it actually worked pretty well. I don't think it's my best, but it was really fun. But I think the uninkable count on that deck was twenty. Uh, or 18. Uh, I have it pulled up here, actually. It is 18. And it's rough, but because the deck, you're only inking to four, maybe five, it's okay. Um, You just have to be really good about your mulligan and make sure you keep stuff in hand that you're okay with inking early, um, because you might just draw into a bunch of uninkables. For my mid-range decks, I keep it to around 14. Um, I don't get too comfortable above that. Um, and that just has to do with average draw of, of getting ink. Um, but yeah, somewhere between there. Nice. I like that. That's a good answer. This next question could probably take a whole podcast episode itself. So uh, I guess maybe you can just hit some bullet points, but it's from Fergus. Fergus said, I'd be keen to have some good tips for deck building for draft. Done a lot of first set to you in Magic the Gathering, but the Magic the Gathering guys usually nail it, is what he says. Any any quick tips for drafting? Yeah, draft is really fun. I've done a couple Lorcana drafts. Uh, I've done a lot more Magic drafts, though. And it's a lot of the same 
idea, you really want to make sure you hit your low cost stuff. Uh, draft is so much more about getting a good curve. You know, just because you see a bunch of really high cost bombs, if you start taking too many of those, you're never going to get to play. <laughs> um, so it's it's really about focusing on, on the mid game, making sure you have we're drafting 40 cards, making sure you get at least three one drops. I like um, it's decent odds to to make sure you have one. Um, twos and threes and fours, I think, are the most important. And then do grab some big bombs. Um, getting removal is important. I usually won't pass up on that. Like in set one, anytime, if, if you open two rares and one of them is a let it go, uh, I always grab it. Um, removal is just so much harder to come by in draft, so always draft that. And then the last one's card draw, um, which, yeah, always make sure you, you draft some of those. It's it, it, it's a good balance, basically, of those things. But I think curve is more important than everything else, making sure you hit that curve and keep playing a character each turn or two characters a turn if you can is good. Puts you ahead. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. yeah I, I did, In the sealed event we did on Monday, uh, I got, this is how bad it was. I had no removal in my six packs and my sole draw card was a BR guest. Ooh. Yeah. And I'm I went so three and two. So I was really happy. I actually had a winning record, but it was, it was rough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess like, yeah, re removal is good. And I think it just puts your deck above everyone else's, but it's not, especially with where we're at in the meta and there's not that many removal cards. It's not as important as just hitting that curve. All right. Well, shall we move on to the ending segments, James? Yes. Uh, so first up, we have uh, only a little bit of news. Uh, the first one was last week, a new trailer dropped, and that got us some of the new cards uh, that we are going to talk about a couple of them. Um, and then also there's a new channel on the official Discord called the Writer's Room, where the, the people who create things like the flavor text and such and the story for the, the videos and the narrative, they're going to be talking about creating those things. So uh, the first one is up now. So if you are interested in that kind of thing or you like to see a little bit of behind the scenes, definitely check that out. And now there's been, I think, something like 20 cards revealed since we last recorded. And we're going to go over some of them, not all 20. We've already talked about a couple of them, so we're not going to talk about uh, a few of them that we already talked about. Uh, but first up, <clears throat> let's talk about Cursed Merfolk. Uh, this is an emerald card. Uh, it's a one-cost uninkable with zero strength and one willpower, two lore, and it's a storyborn and the ability poor souls. Whenever this character is challenged, each opponent chooses and discards a card. What do we think of this card? It's really good. <laughs> I like it a lot, to be honest. <laughs> um, just thinking how, you know, we all loved Lilo set one. Um this is just Lilo with upside. Ignore, I completely ignore that it only has, you know, zero power instead of one. The one power on Lilo never, never made a difference to anybody. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. The whole, the fact that this has Flynn's ability on it, um, super good. Uh, it, this, this will be a great aggro card. 100% agree. I, you know, saw people online today talking about how, it's uninkable number one but so lilo and then it doesn't have that willpower and it's just like 
just like you said, Lindsay, I will trade that one willpower for an ability any day, especially an ability that makes you discard an opponent's card. And that's a that's a card that you have to answer. Otherwise, you know, if you just ignore it, your opponent, I mean, you're going to be able to build up two lore every time from that single character. Yeah, I, I like it. It's a card that demands an answer. 100%. And with all those other emerald cards that demand answers or mess with your opponent when they need when they deal with it, it's just I mean on curve you can mess with your opponent every turn. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. All right, and uh we mentioned it um but let's talk about it a second um these are from uh the, that was revealed by Rebecca from the Illuminary by the way. And uh, she also got to reveal uh the ruby card that we mentioned a voyage which is a one cost inkable action that is move up to two characters of yours to the same location for free ruby got a very powerful card with this free movement to locations i mean come on yeah if locations are good this is good it's a common and it costs one Um, and if you have locations, you know, some of them cost, you know, it costs two to move characters. That just makes it so much better. Um, yeah. It, it'll come down to what locations red gets to run, but yeah, I think it, it has potential. Definitely. So, uh, next up, uh, the official, uh, Lorcana Twitter or Instagram, wherever you happen to see it revealed, uh, Bernard brand new agent. Uh, in Amber, a four-cost inkable with one strength, five willpower, and two lore, and the ability, I'll check it out, at the end of your turn, if this character is exerted, you may ready another chosen character of yours. I like this card. I think this card is pretty cool. Now, I don't know, because it's it's something that you have to wait to until the next turn after you play it to exert it in order to use the ability, but I like it. I mean, it's, it's something that's going to be really helpful. Someone pointed out Christopher Robin would love this card. Um, but I think just having something that can ready your Ariel or, uh, Arthur or your Arthur or your sad beast, you know, anything that can ready your characters that you really don't want or Cogsworth, if you're playing it in a Sapphire deck, I mean, so many cards you don't like to exert for things that this will fix, but of course it has to stay on the board and you might only have it last one turn. So, but I think it's cool. Yeah, I I like it. I like that it has five willpower. I think that's its strongest suit. Um, bit of steel resist there. Um, so for some reason, I just keep comparing it to things with like bodyguard that kind of do the, you know protecting things that are exerted. He's doing a little different but similar. Um, with Christopher Robin, obviously there's combo potential, but um, uh, I I do think it is a little slow with. You know, you you have to wait a turn to exert it. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see if it lands in any aggro strategies, maybe. The, the thing that I find interesting about this is I think this is the first card that says at the end of your turn, this character is exerted. So yeah, in order You're to right. use Bernard's active uh, uh, ability, it has to be at the end of your turn. So you have to basically say, OK, it's the end of my turn and now I'm going to do this. Yep. Yep. All right. Next up, we have uh, in steel, uh, two cost inkable Kita, Royal Warrior, 
uh, a two three bodyguard with one lore. This is, as everyone said, this is Simba and Steel. And look at me, I'm I'm the Simba now. <laughs> <laughs> I love this card. Um, not just because it's another Simba, it frees Steel up to be able to play a really good two cost and not have to be in Amber as well. Yeah. Simba is just the best two cost and it's a common that, that we have. So I think it frees steel up a lot more to do other things. Agree. Yep. Okay. Agreed. So we already covered the Milo that, and just for reference, the Milo we're talking about is the floodborne that banishes uh, all opposing characters when uh, it is banished. That's a seven cost uninkable with three lore. Uh, that's a pretty cool card. But um, it's a shift four as well, so you can yeah, get it out four. pretty great. quick. That's one of the only shift three lower cards. Most of them are two, but it, there's a few that shift three lower, and this is one of them. Legendary. Great card. Okay, so here's one I want to talk about and get your opinion on, Lindsay, and that's Heart of Atlantis, a four-cost, uninkable amber item with the ability life giver exert this item and you pay two less for the next character you play this turn it's the lantern that costs two more but with double the the redu reduction in cost yeah so. i don't like i don't like it at all really <laughs> i would so much rather get a lantern down turn two and have that 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 discount earlier um to start i i can use my early turns to like do that to build a better board presence having to wait to turn four to be able to drop this item and you know get a bigger discount but just the fact that it comes down later uh i'm not a i, I don't see it being run over lantern and i don't think lantern's being run much right now except in some mufasa decks yeah i yeah. i i don't see too much potential for it myself <laughs> I'm kind of on the same wavelength. There has to be a card that reduces item cost to get this down to like turn three. Then I could maybe see it being playable. I mean, I know mm -hmm. the Bell uh, Inventive, whatever, the one from set one, I think she reduces the cost of the next item you play by one. So maybe paired in that scenario would make sense. But yeah, I also agree. I think it's kind of costly for what it does. Yeah, I, I just don't see you ever playing it over Lantern, where you get it down two turns earlier. There you go. Now, this one has also been one that a lot of people are... Uh... This card broke me. It's like, <laughs> if, oh, no. if I get off Sapphire, this is the card that's responsible for it. Can you take a wild guess at which one it is? You want to take a guess? Me? Yeah. Uh, is it the dime? No, it's not. Oh, no, it's Sapphire. That's the first one that came to mind. It's it's friend like me. Oh, friend like me. Yeah. I'm uh, sorry. I want to like Sapphire so much, but why does all their stuff have to benefit the opponent too? Like, there's yeah. almost zero in here that makes me like. There's nothing about this card that makes me want to play it, other than the fact that the art is awesome yeah. and our good friend Martin was <laughs> one who helped reveal it, but. I, I just do not like this card for Sapphire. And if this is how Sapphire is going to keep going, I don't know. I don't know. You're hopping off the Sapphire train, huh? I mean, I'm I'm not there yet, but this card might be the beginning of that. Yeah. So, so it's a five-cost inkable song. And, of course, a five-cost character can sing it for free. 
Each player puts the top three cards of their deck into their inkwell face down and exerted. That's it. I I think if it wasn't exerted, it would be very playable. I think this we we'd have a whole other discussion where because just like whole new world, when you're whole new world and you're trying to make sure you get more benefit than your opponent with this one because you're playing it on your turn and it comes in exerted, your opponent gets to use it first. That does put you at a disadvantage. The only decks I see running this are going to be Bell decks where you're already ramped way ahead of your opponent already. And the one upside for it, it is inkable. I think that is something to say where, like, you know, you're in a matchup where you really don't want to give your opponent that three extra um, ink. You can just ink it. So I, I think it has potential, but uh, I, it's going to be too hard to get into to to decks enough to see value basically yeah no the only scenario that i saw this making any sense is when you're in those games the control games that go forever and each person is at like 17 ink at that point three extra ink doesn't make much of a difference but but at that point do you really need a card like this anyway unless you're trying to mill them you know in that case maybe it works but i don't know yeah i think a mill deck it could work as well that's the only thing i thought of yeah yeah. Final three cards, guess what? Here you go. Next time you draw, you're done. Okay, now let's talk about Lucky Dime, the other Sapphire card. Seven <laughs> cost, uninkable item with the ability number one, exert the item, spend two ink, and choose a character of yours and gain lore equal to their lore. The very first non-character legendary card. This is pretty cool, but it is expensive. It is uh it's a cool idea and there is enough item uh, i i think when we when we when they revealed scrooge we were all talking about how there really needs to be a big item that we can cheat in with scrooge because right now before dime was revealed scrooge just felt so useless. like am i gonna cheat in popsicles <laughs> like no this is uh, or i guess fishbone would maybe be about the best you could get off of scrooge in a constructed deck Dime, I think, opens the door at least to Scrooge being playable in an item deck. I do still, but but if you don't have Scrooge out, now you're stuck with the seven cost uninkable that is it good enough? <laughs> I, I, I'm very on the fence with it. it. It really comes down to if item decks can make a comeback like, like they did at the start of set two. Or you throw this in your Alice deck and you have Alice boosted up so she has the five lore, then you use the Lucky Dime, you know? Then you get ten lore just from, from that one turn. Does that work? Yeah, Steve uh, came out and clarified that. Oh, yeah. cool. Okay, because I was thinking, like, does Alice like actually gain the pips on the card that Dime would read? But yeah, I guess you're right. Okay. Hmm. I have to take Alice that was in Tomatella, a Direction. I mean, you have to wait so long to get Tamatoa out. See, so, yeah, like the the Ruby Sapphire item deck with Tamatoa, I could see that that would be really crazy combo. But I think with Scrooge, Dime is good. Without Scrooge, there's not much reason. I I would rather cheat this item in. What about? Let's talk about one of these other cards that may be helpful for multiple uses of the Lucky Dime if you happen to have it out, and that's. 
Audrey Ramirez in Sapphire, a five-cost inkable character with two strength and five willpower and two lore. She's got ward and the ability spare parts whenever this character quests, ready one of your items. I mean, if you've got Bell out late in the game and that's crazy, five lore, and then Lucky Dime gets you five more, and then Audrey Ramirez gets you two, and then five more because you can spend to do Lucky Dime again. You got 17 yep. lore on one turn. Yeah, I think blue items is going in such a combo heavy direction, but I like it. <laughs> um, Magical I, Wishland, right? <laughs> and I mean, she's also going to be great with just Fishbone, just getting yeah. more more uh ramp i think um i think ward is just the most important keyword too um she'll be good i I think she'll be a staple in item decks if we see if we see them continue to to grow yep 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 and then we had another item revealed in ruby uh, a three cost inkable sumerian talisman and the ability source of magic during your turn whenever one of your characters is banished in a challenge you may draw a card so so I mean, draw. It's card draw in Ruby, which doesn't have much, but it's uh, very conditional. And yeah, mm. I hadn't thought too much on it. It's, uh, I mean, the problem is Queen, like we have Queen of Hearts right now that gets you draw for challenges, but even she's not run much. It's, right. To me, it's going to come down to is the set three meta going to be more challenge heavy? Yep. Yep. Um, and I'm just not sure because this isn't going to include locations because locations can't hit back because um, it's only when they're vanished. So, and we, we were all excited for Sheer Khan and trying to get challenge, challenger matters decks for set two, but there's just no challenging happening because everyone's bouncing everything. And uh, if that continues to be the case and there's not much challenging going on or interaction, I don't think this card is going to see any play. Yeah, and it's even even more difficult to to kick off than the queen because the queen is just challenging. This one yep. is vanishing. Yep. I think Dinner Bell is still probably better. Uh we have uh Tinkerbell, a very clever fairy, uh in Sapphire, five cost inkable, three strength, four willpower with two lore, and the ability I can use that. Whenever one of your items is banished, you may put that card into your inkwell face down and exerted. Again, why? Like, you know, <laughs> typically you think because that's banish, what Sapphire does. Typically, you're gonna think you banish Popsicle with Hiram Flavorsham, but like you can get that back. Like it seems like it's yeah. more beneficial. Or Fishbone. I mean, maybe you banish Fishbone Quill once its usefulness runs out. But then if you're like running an Item Slinger deck and you've got Tomatoa, do you really want to put that in your Inkwell? I don't know. I don't know. Absolutely not. Nope. I don't think Tinkerbell's very good. And this is a super rare. She's not the worst super rare in Sapphire. This, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you you've seen Windy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that <laughs> that card Windy should be an uncommon if that, but that's just my opinion. Um, but yeah, Tinkerbell's not great. It might. I, I Art's like awesome though. Yes, good art. All right, so this one is a fun one and also uh, excellent art, and that is in uh, Ruby, Prince Eric, Expert Helmsman, four-cost uninkable, two-strength, two-willpower with two-lore, and the ability Surprise Maneuver. When this character is banished, you may banish chosen character. This one just seems like it's going to be fun. Yeah, reminds me a little of the Red Namari that we do have, um, which we've tried running in Mufasa decks a little bit, but 
she's a little, you know, you get to choose when when you use her to banish something. So I don't know. I, I'm a little on the fence with Prince Eric. Yeah, same. I I mean I've seen people use the idea of using uh, teeth and ambitions with Prince Eric. Um two for one something. Yeah. But I, I'm same. I'm same. It, it it definitely will have to see how it can be used. I think it can. It just matters again, like is it useful enough to put in there because of the uninkable? Or are you just gonna run whatever other rush or whatever you need in order to get rid of stuff? But the two lore, I mean, you just quest with it and make your opponent be- uh, run into it. See, Steve Warner, if you're listening to this, these are what we want to know from the dev diaries. What is the reasoning behind a friend like me or this Prince Eric? Uh, they needed a card to use this awesome art on. I mean, it's true. That is very cool art. <laughs> All right. So uh, I think we only have one. Maybe a couple more here. Uh, okay. Four cost, steel card, uninkable, action song, and then along came Zeus. It's very simple. Deal five damage to chosen character or location. This is our first card that calls out locations for damage. So yep. that's very cool. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think it actually banishes almost any location we've had so far because most of them are at six willpower. I think a lot of them are at six. Yeah. But still. Dealing five damage to a character or a location, and it can be sung at four or more with a character. Pretty good. I think as long as you have the uninkable room, you run this over Smash every time. It's worth it. It's a song. It costs one more, but it's a song and it does more damage. I think this will make Smash just null and void. And I can't remember who put it on Twitter. I think it was Nicholas Rausch, but he said that uh, there's only one character that costs four or less that survives this song and that's Hiram. Oh wow, you're right. So pretty wow. strong. Pretty strong Slow removal down. there. Yeah. Nice. All right. And then Very finally, good. after all of the uh puppies were revealed, we then got the uh action uh five cost uninkable uh in amber. Ninety nine puppies. Whenever one of your characters quests this turn, gain one lore. So I mean it's an uncommon, it's uninkable how often are you going to use it? It's not singable because yeah. it's regular action. It feels like pack tactics to me, which is why I'm not getting too excited for it. I was so excited for pack tactics when they revealed that, and I am happy to say I was very wrong about that card. I tried it and it failed. I'm not. I I don't think this one's going going places. Yeah, it just seems too way too conditional. Mm-hmm. You need it at a time when you want to quest a lot and it's not very often you're going to have a lot of characters on board these days. I mean, if mm-hmm. you have 99 puppies on board, this is a killer action. <laughs> You've already won. You should have already won. <laughs> but this is a, this is a try hard here. You know, why I mean, settle at 99 when you could get 198? Listen, if you put 99 puppies in your deck and you put Rockstar Stitch in your deck, and then they have a card in this set that's like a Pongo or a Perdita that says you can pay one less to play a puppy, a card named Crazy. Crazy. Puppy, and you have two of them on board, so they're free. 
and you just keep playing them and keep drawing them and your stitch just lets you keep drawing and playing and drawing and playing because they're free, then you can get 99 puppies on board. But that is the only way that's happening. Unless you're I'm a bonafide, be prepared before you quest. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but you get them on board. I mean, that's the thing. You're like, okay, yes. look, buddy, they're all up. I mean, you you need to let me win now because I managed to get this to work. <laughs> Exodia. <laughs> oh yeah, come out with a card if uh, if you have ninety nine puppies in play, you win the game. <laughs> All right, okay. Are we ready for some Disney Jeopardy? Are you? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> All right, ready, ready as I'll ever be. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple of tough ones on here, but uh, well, we're gonna start easy here. So for one hundred. The brooms Mickey created in Fantasia get mentioned a lot and two Lorcana cards. But this is the other cleanup item created in the segment of the movie. Uh, there were mops too, right? Mop? Were there mops? No. I know there were mops created in the live action version. I haven't seen Fantasia in so long. I'm I'm such a bad Disney fan. I didn't I didn't look at pictures of it. I just knew that <laughs> this is what the brooms carry. Let's put oh, the way. buckets. Okay. Yeah, no, okay. Yes, the, the bucket brigade. Okay. <laughs> that, was, that was. Yeah, that's a better phrased question to make it the 100 point question. Yeah, I'm giving that to you. Okay, for 200, this is who gave us the line: "Fish are friends, not food." Oh, it's Bruce. Ding, 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 ding. Good old Bruce from Finding Nemo. <laughs> I know. Bruce has to be a card someday. Uh, for 300, this is the name of Moana's pet pig. Oh, it's a... Uh... I know it because we're always talking about how it should be a card. I know. So... Our good friend Walter. <clears throat> this is his card he wants. I have a name in my head. I hope I'm not wrong. Is it Pua? Yes. Yes. It's Pua. Nice. Good job. Okay. This one is a really tough one. It's one of those ones if if you know it, you know it. If you don't, you don't. And where you said you're not a very good Disney fan. Anyway, here we go. For 400. This is the Disney movie that received the first PG rating. I mean, I want to have gotten this. Oh my gosh, I know this. Uh, one, uh, I need to think. I know this. Oh my gosh. PG rating. Oh. Why is the rescuers popping in my head? I don't think that's it, though. It's uh, a, I will say it's like a cult classic movie. Not super popular, <laughs> but there's a devoted fan base to it. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, the Black Cauldron. Yep. How did you know that? Uh, I I mean, I've, I'm, a, I'm a big Disney fan. I, I love, I mean, I'm a big animated movie fan fan to be honest and i love talking about disney's dark era and when don bluth kind of started showing he might be able to take take on disney as the biggest animator and that was during that dark period but then the little mermaid happened and uh, so we just watched this uh last week and i can't remember what part it was but there was a part where my wife and i just looked at each other when it happened and we're like this is a disney movie so that's probably was the PG moment. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, Black Cauldron was an interesting uh, 
interesting choice. With yeah. that being said, I cannot wait to see like the the Skull King and uh, Lorcana. Yes. That's his name, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the Horned King. The Horned King. Yes. I think it might be a On little her. bit. Might be a little bit till they give us some uh, some some Black Cauldron cards. It's not okay. Disney's brightest era. For five hundred, <laughs> the Atlantean language used in the Disney movie was created by the linguist, also responsible for two of the classic show's sci-fi languages. Uh, hold on. We need to rephrase that. I re- I changed the answer. The Atlantean no, language. Who's the linguist? No, not the, who the linguist is. Who what the show is? This shows. Oh. Oh. Okay. Sci-fi okay. Languages. So he well, created two languages for this sci- classic sci-fi show, and he also did the Atlantean language for Atlantis: The Lost Empire. I mean, That's I have a show. guess. I don't know the answer to this. I'm going to guess Star Trek. There you that go. Is correct. Ah, oh, yes. He I knew they had Klingon. lots of languages. I was going to say Klingon. Yeah, Klingon and Vulcan, which is hilarious because Leonard Nimoy did a voice in Atlantis. Yes, he did. There you go. I mean, I would say you went uh, five for five there. So that's Woo-hoo. a high five. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. So before we get to the very ending here, before we roll the credits, James, we also have another announcement to make, don't we? We do. We do. All right. Do you want to tell everybody? Yes. Uh, if if I am correct, uh, the announcement is uh, when this drops tonight, we have a card reveal that we will be live streaming this evening. So if you're listening in the future, it's already happened. You can go back and watch it. But if you're listening to this when this drops, there's a reveal tonight. At, at We're doing it at uh, what time? 8 p.m. Pacific 8 time. 8 p.m. Pacific. So for all of you, everyone else except for Pacific, it's late. But we're going to live stream a card reveal. Uh, we have been uh, graced by uh, official Lorcana with a card reveal, and we are so thankful to them. And uh, tune in and find out what it is. Yeah. Well, hold on. Minor correction. I believe we settled on 7.30 Pacific time. So it's 10.30 for you Eastern times. Just follow. You're following Citizens of Lorcana on Twitter. Just he'll announce when it is. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's 7.30 or 8. Somewhere in that range. (laughs) All right. With that being said, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It's been a pleasure. I've learned a lot. Uh, about deck building and just even how to evaluate you know what goes into my deck and uh hopefully i become better but honestly i'll probably just keep net decking and and uh (laughs) tweaking it from there but if people want to find you online where can they find you and how can they connect with you yeah so mainly i am on discord um i work from home so that's why i'm kind of just always active in there um when you, you say the Discord, which one? The Discord. Uh, there's two, I guess. I'm in the official Discord, and I'm also in the Lorcana HQ Discord. Okay. Um, and then I also have a Twitter. Um, not super active on that. Well, I guess it's X now. I have an X, and it's uh, a Queer Lens, L-I-N-D-Z, on all those platforms. Okay. And definitely go check Lindsay out. Um, like I said, if you struggle with deck building, this is the person who will give you the best advice. So, and she's very helpful. So definitely, 
uh, reach out. Um, and if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. You can follow us on the podcasting platform of your choice. You can find me on the website, formerly known as Twitter, at Citizens of Lorcana. And as James said, make sure to tune in to our live stream tonight, uh, unless you're listening to us later. Um, and James, where can they find you? You can find me everywhere online at Dan Regal. And you can check out geekshotphoto.com for social media and photography links for my wife and I. And thank you all for joining us. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>